This is First Fairgate United Methodist Church's podcast. Thank you for joining us as we continue our summer worship series, A Church Built on Christ, based on the book of Ephesians. And now, here's Martha with our message. There was a book written by pastor and author Gary Chapman in 1992. That was about 30, 31 years ago, so I'm asking you to go way back. But the book itself was initially intended to be a tool for couples and marriages to strengthen their love relationship. In the last 30 years or so, it's evolved into teaching us how to work with relationships with teenagers, which is a priceless lesson to have. It's also evolved into relationships in general, and even some uh, businesses and workplaces have adopted some of the teachings of this this writing so that employees can learn how to interact with each other or, or better romantic relationship, is that love, the feeling, is that each of us have a love language that we speak, and it may be different from our, our spouse or our partner or our kids or our friends and family. And so we have to learn to speak the language of the other person so that the other person can experience our love for them. It's a communication language. Now, there were five of them. Again, I'm sure these are not exhaustive, but there, there were five of them that, that Gary Chapman initially lists. The first one is words of affirmation, which is fairly simple. Some of us experience love from others by them telling us that, or words of affirmation saying we've done something well, or we've done something that, that, that pleases them, or we've done something important. It's a verbal language. Some of us experience love through acts of service. Now, it doesn't have to be something monumental of going out and and doing some sort of monumental acts of service of of feeding people. There is a portion of that, yes, that we're called to do as followers. But acts of service are something as simple as unloading the dishwasher. If my sister were to come across the street and mow my grass for me, I would do backflips off my front porch. If somebody would scoop the litter box without me having to ask, oh my gosh, It might be as simple as those of you who have little kids on Saturday morning, you alternate who gets up with the kids on each Saturday so that the other one can sleep in. Those are ways that we express how we love each other. Then another one is receiving gifts. Again, it doesn't have to be some big, monumental, expensive gift. It can be something as simple as you know someone likes boats, so you buy a Christmas tree ornament boat in July. It's that simple. And then some of us experience love by just having the people we care about spend quality time with us. Phones down, TV off, no multitasking, just spending time together. And oftentimes it doesn't even require words to be spoken. Just time spent together. And then there's the fifth one, physical affection. Now this is where you huggers struggled in the last 15, 16 months. I can see some heads nodding. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it could just be a, hold, a holding of the hand, a pat on the back, a hug. It's how you experience love from the people you care about. The point of those five love languages is it's how you would keep your love and your relationships alive. 
because there will be an ebb and a flow over the years. It's just part of life. But keeping it alive requires work because it's easy to fall into a rut. It's very easy to get caught up in just the everyday doing of life and our relationships suffer when we do that. In our scripture that Ryan read for us this morning from Ephesians, the author of Ephesians, most scholars assume, is the Apostle Paul. And in the scripture that we read, what Paul models for us is that prayer is the love language of the church. Prayer is the power source to God's fueling us to allow God to work through us. We began this sermon series on the book of Ephesians two weeks ago. That makes us in week three for this week. And Ephesians is a letter written to a church plant in a city called Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. I'll refer you back to the previous two sermons to get the full context. But a church had been planted, meaning a person had started a church in the city of Ephesus. As we emerge from the pandemic, one thing is becoming clear or a common theme. As I have talked with clergy colleagues, as I have read articles, listened to podcasts, countless books, all of us just trying to wrap our heads around where we are as a universal church and as a local church, one theme seems to emerge. In many ways, we have all become church plants. Now, when we think of a church plant, we tend to think of a congregation takes a subset of people and goes and starts a church at another location. That's not what we're doing here. That's not what I'm talking about. But in many ways, the degree to which we have to start all over resembles a church plant. Now, I find that exciting because First Farragut itself is still a very young church. We're only 37 years old. Now, those of you who are in your teenage years, you think that's old. Trust me, it's not. 37 is very, very young. And what's even more exciting about that is that we, this congregation we call First Farragut, was the first church plant in the Holston Conference of the United Methodist Church at that time in 25 years. Being a church plant is simply a part of our DNA. That's how we got started. That's how we got here. And it's one of the reasons we're spending so much time in the book of Ephesians. Because this letter written to the church in Ephesus calls us back to the basics. The foundation of which is Jesus Christ. If ever a church is founded or started on anything other than Jesus Christ, it is not a church. It is a social organization. Our very bedrock is Jesus Christ. So for the last two or the first two chapters of Ephesians, the author Paul launches into this grandiose speech about how God is the one doing all the work. God has called, God has gathered, God has lavished, God has blessed the people, God is the one doing all the work. And then we got to chapter 2 last week and we saw that it was Jesus' reconciling act of bringing all people into relationship with God that was the mission of the church. For two whole chapters, 
Paul goes into this wonderful story of how God's working through Jesus. But it seems here in the third chapter, he just stops. He just suddenly hits the pause button and stops. And he begins to pray for them. And he basically is praying for them, saying, if you do not stay connected to the source of your power, through the love language of prayer, you will not make it. That's the message that Paul gives to the church at Ephesus. Unless you stay connected to God, your source of power, you will not make it. So he stops to pray that they be filled, true to Paul's form, he uses a lot of words, but he essentially prays three things. That they would be strengthened inwardly, that Christ would dwell within them, and that they would be rooted and grounded in love. His prayer to be strengthened inwardly with power. That word power there in the Greek is dunamis. If it sounds familiar, it should. It's where we get our word dynamite. Paul is saying, I pray that you are filled with the absolute dynamite power of Jesus himself. The power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus made an analogy of himself. We, we read it in the Gospels. He made an analogy of himself as him being a vine and that the people, his followers, were the branches. And Jesus told his followers that unless they stayed connected to the vine, they could do nothing. He basically said, apart from being connected to the vine, which is Jesus, you can do nothing. Nothing is a pretty strong word. But here's the thing, we're really good at doing. We like to do for God, to feed people, to clothe people, to give money, to advocate for justice, all of which is a part of being a follower of Jesus, yes. But imagine how much more God could do if we used God's dynamite power rather than our own habits, tried and true methods. Paul continues to tell them that the source of dynamite power is the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. And it's the next thing that Paul asked for on their behalf. One of the absolute foundational doctrines of the church, universal church, is that Jesus Christ was fully human and fully divine, fully God. 100% human and 100% God. Now, if you ask me to explain to you how that is, I cannot explain how that is. That's, that's where the faith part comes in. But belief that Jesus was fully human and fully divine is not just a statement of belief. It's actually lived out in the church. Because we're told that the church, this gathered body of believers, is the body of Jesus. Now, look around, what do you see? You see humans, right? Your brothers and sisters, you may not look at your actual brothers and sisters, you may think differently, but what you see around you are humans. And so the tendency for us is to look around and see that it is humans who make up the church. And that's a part of it because we see ourselves, we see human beings. But if we are fully divine, God is here with us, living in us also. 
Now, I can see your eyes glossing over and you're thinking, that's a great doctrine lesson. Why does it matter? When we diminish the divinity, the divine, the God presence, when God's presence in the church is diminished and overshadowed by human effort, the outcome is religion, not relationship. The outcome is we value our methods and our processes and and orderly worship and dry liturgies and dry sermons over the divine. The flip side of that is when we diminish the humanness, we end up with some pie-in-the-sky spirituality that we can't actually live with in everyday life. So we do well to remember that if the church, universal and local congregations, are the body of Christ, we are human, but we are also divine. We need both. God's divine power meeting with human willingness to allow God's power to work through us. Finally, Paul prayed for them that they would be rooted and grounded in love. This is where the result of the prayer language of love comes into play in the church. Jesus modeled over and over and over again, love God, love neighbor. He was even asked once what was the greatest commandment, and Jesus said, love the Lord your God, you know it, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And what was the second? Love your neighbor. The author of Ephesians also wrote elsewhere in another letter that if you have great faith and eloquent words and even extravagant generosity, it's nothing if you don't have love. Jesus taught and modeled for us that our love for God is measured by our love for others. Our love for God is measured by how we love others. Because we cannot give what we do not have. Hence the reason Paul prays that they would be grounded and rooted in the love of God. Jesus told a parable. It actually has two names. Sometimes we call it the parable of the soils and sometimes we call it the parable of the sower. In this story, Jesus says that there was a farmer who went out to sow seed, meaning plant seed, went out to sow his seed in his fields, and some of the seed fell on rocky soil and therefore could not take root, and so it just didn't grow. Then there was some seed that fell in shallow soil, and it was able to spring up quickly and grow quickly, but because the soil was so shallow, it withered away. Then there was another type of seed that was sown among the thorns and the weeds and thorns and the weeds began to choke out the soil excuse me the seeds the wheat that was growing and it it just died but then there was another kind another seed that fell on good soil and Jesus says the seed that fell in that soil produced an abundant crop prayer is how we cultivate that healthy, nutrient-rich soil that allows God's love to stay alive within us. The love language of prayer keeps our love for God alive. 
And it keeps us plugged into the power source of the Holy Spirit. Paul's prayer for them was that unless they stayed connected to their power source, they wouldn't make it. And if you read the rest of the Bible and you read all the way through Revelation, you would realize this church that Paul prayed this for had some struggles. There's not a church on the earth that doesn't have struggles. But staying connected to their power source was what Paul prayed for them. And it's the same prayer for us. The challenge for us is that we can get so caught up in doing that we unknowingly cut ourselves off from the power source. I've already confessed once, I don't know when it was, a few weeks ago, that I'm not noted for yard work and landscaping and gardening. You don't want me touching anything that's supposed to live, except a person. I'll take care of that, but not a plant. I've already confessed I'm not good at that. So once a year, I have to force myself to go outside and trim the hedges. I have an electric hedge trimmer because gas and holding all that is just too much for me. I'm not even going to try it. So I have an electric hedge trimmer, which I made fun of many times for that. And so you have to plug it in, right? So a few weeks ago, I had to go out and trim these hedges. They were in desperate need of a trimming. So I went outside to trim them. It was late in the day. It was hot. I was tired. I had to get it done. So here I am, intent on these hedges, just, just trying to get it done, just get it done. And all of a sudden, bam, guess what I did? Sliced right through my power source. The only extension cord I have. Bright blue. How you can't see it, I don't know. Sliced right through it. So I had to finish the work with my handheld pruners. It was slow work. Did I mention it was hot and I was tired? And by the time I was done, my hand was so sore. Paul's call to prayer reminds us that through the power of the Holy Spirit and only through the power of the Holy Spirit can we do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. But here's the thing. Our prayers have to shift from a strong emphasis on our own needs, wants, and desires to an emphasis on seeking God's desires, God's wants, God's power. An aspect of prayer, yes, is presenting our own concerns, our requests. Yes, absolutely do that. But if you want to see your life change, And if you want to see the life of this congregation we call First Farragut change, our prayers have to shift to a single-minded focus on God's Holy Spirit dwelling within us. That God would reveal God's power within us to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Elsewhere in Scripture, I believe it's in James We're told that you have not because you ask not. Sometimes what we ask is too small. God's prayer, Paul's prayer for us, is that we would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. 
Instead of an affirmation of faith this morning, in response to Scripture and the proclaiming of God's Word, I invite you to join me in a congregational prayer. It is printed. You don't have it printed, so don't bother looking for it, because I knew if I gave it to you now, you'd read it. But I will give you a copy when you leave, and we will post it to our social media channels also. But I invite you to pray this prayer with me. The words will be on the screen in just a minute. May they be more than just words. And hence the reason you're going to get a copy to take home with you. Keep praying this prayer. I invite you to pray with me. Oh God, help me bow in complete submission to your will and way. In my own personal life, help me let go of the things I try to control. My wants, my needs, my desires, my opinions, my relationships, people around me. Anything that I try to control, I give wholly to you. Oh God, as your people in this community of faith, we call First Farragut, we bow in complete submission to you. Our hopes and dreams of the past, we relinquish to you. Our small dreams and visions of the future, we ask, replace them with far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Holy Spirit, the dynamite power of Jesus Christ, Fill us, your people. Remind us we are a part of something holy and mysterious that you are building. Give us your vision. Take our circumstances, a challenging time for us as individuals and as a church. Turn it into triumph and a testimony. In the name of the one, who could do far more than we could ask or imagine. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. We continue in responding in worship by the giving of God's tithes and our offerings. We no longer pass an offering basket or plate, but you are invited to text to give, and I believe we have instructions for that on the screen. Or as you exit the building, there is a, a box. It is a locked box. As you exit the building, you're welcome to give uh, God's tithe or your offering. But I invite you to stand. May I? Are we standing? I invite you to stand as we respond in worship.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us next week as we continue our series from the book of Ephesians, A Church Built on Christ. See you then.